You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of the Driving Law Podcast. I am your host, Kyla Lee, and with me, as perhaps way too often, Paul Doroshenko. I don't think it's too often. We're in the studio <laughs> this week. We're back finally in the studio after it seems like weeks on the road. Forever. Barely Every... remembered the studio. Yeah, we were out. Um, I don't even remember all the places we've been. San Diego, Calgary, and Seashells. Uh, yeah. So, been a lot of traveling. I've yeah. been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. You've been everywhere too. Yeah, I've I've been so many places, more places than you. Next week it's off to. Uh, um, although I don't know, are you going? One of us has to go to Cranbrook next week. Well, that's news to me. We've talked about it. Uh, in any event, um, speaking of news to you, Paul. Did you hear what the NDP government is trying to do, sneaking it in in a uh, miscellaneous statutes amendment act? Well, that's not just necessarily news to me, but it will be news to the podcast viewers uh, because you told me about it. There's no viewers. There's no video. Oh, we just finished recording a video on something else. So podcast <laughs> listeners, I've been saying for the longest time that we should have video. I if people you. think that we should have video on no, the podcast, no, no. we could video it and no, put it on YouTube no. too. I told you, 100th episode, we're going to do a live special. We're going to rent out a bar and we're going to record it live. And I'll probably like buy a round for everybody as long as they promise not to drive home. And if they do drive home to call me. Um. I yes. hope that lots of people don't come to the live recording because I can't afford to buy that many rounds. Half half size drinks yeah. or something. Everybody's really got to share flat one beer. pitcher. Flat beer, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I will be more entertaining probably if I've been drinking. So anyway, yeah. tell me, what is the NDP? What have they done? So, so sneaky well, that you say. You know what a miscellaneous statutes amendment bill is. Yeah, it's usually an omnibus bill, a piece of legislation that changes a bunch of other pieces of legislation. And sometimes they put in sneaky things there that nobody's going to look at. And it's usually things that bureaucrats have been looking at and saying, I really want to fix this. I think this is wrong. But usually the majority of the omnibus legislation amendment miscellaneous bills is just housekeeping in the legislation, tidying up some you know, unprecise language, imprecise language, um, you know, making things gender neutral, that type of stuff. Yes. So this one has a couple amendments to the Motor Vehicle Act that are pretty significant. Um, The first of those amendments is that there is an amendment to the speeding provisions. It'll introduce a new provision under the Motor Vehicle Act, section 148.1 of the Motor Vehicle Act if passed and if been enacted. And this provision would allow uh, the... It would allow the people that are charged with um, violating a speeding sign to raise a defense. And the defense is that the sign was obstructed and not visible to anybody, and it's gotta be anybody, on the highway at the time that the speeding offense occurred. So those would be circumstances with like a garbage bag over the sign or snow covering the sign or... Yeah, or, you know, a big construction project that obliterates the sign 
or aliens beam the sign out. I don't know. What happens if the (laughs) sign, what happens if there's a vehicle parked in front of it? Um, So that vehicle could see it, but other vehicles couldn't. It would have to be any vehicle driving on the highway. So I guess it would have to be uh, an interpretation issue there when it comes to that. Yeah, obviously. how do you, you know, is that... Which actually, funny story. I want to tell you a funny personal story. I failed my very first in-car driver's exam. Doesn't surprise me. Fuck you. The joke. <laughs> You've been in the car with me. You're a safe driver. Countless times. You're a very safe driver. I am a very driver. safe driver, uh, despite what ICBC thinks. Um, no, I, I failed my very first driver's exam because where I grew up, you couldn't take the driving exam anywhere near my house. So I had to go like out of town to go take it. And the... Uh, area was not an area I was familiar with and there was a truck parked in front of a school zone sign and I had no knowledge that this was a school zone because I didn't know there was a school there and I couldn't see the school zone sign because of the truck that was obstructing the view so I'm like driving along I'm like yeah I'm doing good I even parallel parked properly like I'm nailing this thing and then I hear the instructor or the examiner say I'm gonna have to ask you to slow down you're speeding I was like I'm going 45 he says you're in a school zone well, I failed. We may as well go back. It's like, well, no, we have to finish. But I failed. Like, there's no point. Anyway, true story. But maybe I wouldn't fail. Well, uh, you could still get a ticket and you still might be considered by the examiner in that circumstance to be committing the offense. But the interesting thing is, I mean, there's a couple interesting things. First of all, like, where's the onus? Who has the onus? Does this basically onus put the on onus? The so it almost puts the obligation on the defense to testify, unless he's got a passenger who could testify about it. Or you have a photograph or something, but you would still have to testify to introduce that. Unless it came out through the cross-examination of the cop, you would essentially have to call some evidence to show that the sign was not visible to anyone on the highway. So now the second thing with this is, where is the hue and cry? Like, where is the... The what? The, where, where is the, the, the backlash, the complaints by the citizenry saying that this must be fixed, this piece of legislation is so awful that we must write in another defense. Like, how often is this arising that they feel that they have to? (laughs) You know, I do remember this coming up last winter, and we're headed into winter again. And it's not an issue, you know, you're using your lower mainland privilege here where we get like five minutes of snow a year. Uh, I live more than 30 years in snowbound wilderness well then you may have forgotten that snow will accumulate on the front of signs and can obstruct them and for people in the north or people driving up north or even in the interior um driving there in the winter if you're not familiar with the roadway you might miss a speed sign because it's been obstructed by snow in those circumstances you're usually driving slowly anyway because there's snow all over the road no because they know how to clear the roads there so you have clear roads and snow blowing snow plows often blow the snow up on the side but there you go. The See, issue, you know exactly what I, I'm talking about. I do about. know that. But my point is that I have not seen any cases where people have been convicted, uh, any reported decisions where the person testified, look, I couldn't see the sign because it was snowed over. And so I'm wondering, you know, what led to this? And maybe it was just uh, somebody complained to their local MLA and their local MLA said, look, this is important. We've got to get this on. But how did this come about? Why are I'm just you knocking quite... it? I know. I'm just curious about it. It's a good amendment. It's no, like the that... first good amendment to the Motor Vehicle Act I've l- literally ever seen. Well, an amendment that's actually in the favor of 
like protecting the innocent. Well, that doesn't seem to be something that there is an interesting statutory issue, though. Exactly. So let's and hear it. The legislation says currently in its current iteration, and it's just in first reading, so it can be amended before it's passed. It says if the defendant proves that the sign was not visible to any person using the highway. Now, that use of the term proves is real loaded. Yeah, shouldn't it just be raises a reasonable doubt as to whether or not? Yeah, or uh, is satisfies or establishes, which would suggest the burden is on the defense on a balance of probabilities. Raises a reasonable doubt would still put the burden on the crown. Um, so I can understand that they want to put the burden on the defense because the onus would only shift once the officer first establishes that there was a regulatory sign in place. So because it says proves, it basically is almost saying that you have to, you have to establish it as the driver beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes. You that have the to sign was. See, this, this is the difference, right? If you say satisfies or establishes, those words are often interpreted as meaning that there's a balance of probability standard intended by the legislator. But the word proves that word is often interpreted as meaning that the standard established by the legislator is something higher, beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond any doubt. Okay, so, um, so if the sign hard. is, uh, if the sign is, but there's, a, you know, think about your capacity to collect the evidence here. So if you drive past that sign and it's obliterated and you can't see you it and you get there. a ticket. You're I know. Go back looking for the sign. You go that you back missed. looking for the sign, and you take a bloody photograph with your iPhone, uh, and you take a video holding it up with your camera phone as you're driving. No, I guess you don't do that because that's an yeah. electronic. No, you take <laughs> a you you pull over to the side and you take a photo. Exactly. So I mean, there you can prove it. Yes, yes, you can prove it, um, but. It's or just still, every time you see a sign that's snowed over, stop and take a photograph of it because you might want to use it down the road. common sense people are not going to go, oh, I've got to go establish this on a beyond a reasonable doubt standard, so I'd better collect evidence that is that is going to meet that standard. You know, like if you deal with speeding cases with the police, you know that, if you, you do, you know that there are various different speeding sections of the Motor Vehicle Act. Some require a sign and some don't require a sign. This would only apply to the ones where there's a sign. And in those cases, the officer has to provide some evidence that the regulatory sign was established and in place on the date of the offense. So that evidence has to be led. And if they don't lead that evidence on any charge related to a sign, it's like basically a non-suit. Yeah, um, no, I know what you're saying, but you still, the onus is still shifting here to the, to the driver. Yes. And so the driver has to establish it and... But the police know to collect the evidence and the driver doesn't necessarily know that. No, but it doesn't also, it doesn't limit how they can establish that, right? So they could simply testify about it. I drove past a sign that was covered. But is your testimony in the face of an officer's testimony that presumably already says... The sign was in place and it wasn't obliterated or obstructed. Is your testimony, now I couldn't see the sign and nobody else could either, going to outweigh that if the burden's on you beyond a reasonable doubt? I could see circumstances where it happened. So the police officer's parked four kilometers down the road. You pass the sign. He passes the sign. Uh, then a, uh, a, um, a snowblower uh, uh, truck, greater truck goes driving by, obliterates the sign. Then you drive past the sign. But yes, 
I, I see your problem, but that's the problem that exists in like all traffic cases. Except for there's a, literally no offenses that I can think of that put the burden on the accused on a beyond a reasonable doubt standard. That's true. This um, is like unknown to law. If this is what they intend. And if this isn't what they intend, they got to clean up the language. Well, I wonder if that's what they intend. Again, whenever I look at a change to the Motor Vehicle Act, I look at look at it as taking away um, rights and making it easier to convict the innocent um, because that's my read of it over the course of my 20 years of doing this. Yeah, I guess. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> at least something good is happening, albeit imperfectly. And I guess you can always constitutionally challenge it for creating a standard that's impossible for drivers to meet and uh, arguably unconstitutional to put a burden on a defendant on that standard because all of the Supreme Court of Canada jurisprudence about what happens when an onus shifts and, and how that is supposed to be um, assessed and what standard of proof constitutionally can apply. I don't blah, see blah, how blah. it can be ever read to be anything other than well, then establishes. They should, they should write establishes or satisfies the court that. Well, just, otherwise it'll, my, end up, it'll end up litigated. That's you're just right. my drafting you're right. tip. You're right. You're right. Well, you know what's going to happen right. you're right. in the you're traffic right. court. Yeah, that's why I don't argue with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but there's another amendment that they're making to the Motor Vehicle Act also. I didn't tell you about this one before because I wanted you to be uh, fresh and spontaneous and engaged on it. And that amendment is in relation to the red light speed intersection cameras. Oh, oh. It creates a presumption that if at a prescribed date and time, a sign, a speed sign is in place and it's in place at a later date and time. Again, that it was by there that it the was time. there all the time so presumption essentially functioning for the purposes of saying the speed sign was always in place so they don't have to have any evidence to verify that the speed sign was in place on the day of the red light camera offense so on the one hand they're like here here's your defense for actual drivers about signs and for owners facing red light camera intersection tickets here's us taking away your defense. The legislature giveth and the legislature taketh away. Well, hang on. This is what this is telling me is that this other provision about the sign being obliterated is to deal with the defense that people must have been running in red light no, um, speed tickets. How can people have been running defenses in, in red light speed traffic intersection camera tickets when none of them have made it to court yet because they've only been in place for like a month. Well, they're planning on it then. They're thinking about it. Maybe this is something that was run before in previous occasions. Maybe yeah, I mean, they... I guess, how do you say the sign was in place? You have to have a provision that allows you to establish that evidence. So this Motor Vehicle Act amendment that you were looking at saying that creating a defense, stop and think about it. All they're trying to do is to make it so it's incredibly hard for somebody in a red light speeding ticket to come along and say that there was no sign. So the onus is now so high on them to say that the sign is obliterated. You've got to prove it. No, but you can't, you can't argue that the sign was obstructed on the traffic light camera. No, I know. I know. I'm just, I'm going back to the previous thing now and I'm realizing the reason that they did it. And that is for red light speed. But I don't understand how you're saying, I, I'm not following you. I know that. So the point here, though, when I real see what you're doing, okay, what the other amendment is, mm -hmm. 
Now we go back to that amendment with respect to obliterated signs. Mm -hmm. Their concern probably is people coming to court challenging their red light I get speeding that, ticket. But I don't see how that relates to the the provision that would apply where a police officer issues a ticket to a driver. No. I know it, it doesn't. It applies in this circumstance is what they're trying to deal with. They're trying to make it so it's impossible for people to come along and be able to establish that the sign was obliterated. Yes. Okay. Sorry. They're just, they're, they're creating the defense for one class of people receiving tickets and eliminating the defense for another class of people receiving the tickets. And the true intention is just eliminating that class of those other people who are going to come along and say that no police officer checked the sign and the sign wasn't there and it was obliterated. And now yes. you come to but court you don't and you have, have to, to say prove it was it basically obliterated. Like if, if you were not visible, if you were facing a, tr no, you don't have to say that as, as the law currently stands, if a police officer doesn't come to court and you're charged with an offense of violating a regulatory speed sign, um, sign erected by a municipality, treaty, first nation government, whatever, if you're charged with an offense, um, of violating that sign and the crown doesn't lead evidence that the sign was in place on the day of the offense, then you're acquitted. So they're trying to say that basically the Crown doesn't have to lead that evidence for the camera tickets, but I don't know why that would necessitate a change to create a defense for the non-camera tickets. Because they're not creating a defense. What they're doing is they're making, setting that onus, as you said, the proof. So you think they're making it so I think high they a actually intend to do that. Yeah. That they they expect that nobody will ever satisfy that. Exactly. So it's lip service. Exactly. It's it's worse than lip service. Well, that's a new record. It took us seventeen minutes to get cynical. <laughs> I've been cynical all the way through this. I was in court the other day and I said something and the judge looked at me and he said, "Are you cynical, Miss Lee?" Well, there is a reported judgment finding, so I guess you've mentioned it before. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, anyway, the, uh, the cynicism out again on full display. So that is our big change that's coming or maybe not coming. Maybe it won't be passed. Oh, it'll pass. Of course it'll pass. Everything passes and everything passes. I, you know, back when I was in law school, I thought, oh, legislation gets, goes in there and then they, you know, hammer on it and work it out and they fix the bugs and whatever. Uh, -uh. usually passes like. The third reading basically is the same as the first reading in provincial legislation. Speaking of fixing bugs and, you know, cleaning up legislation in a miscellaneous statutes amendment act, wouldn't it be nice if the government had tabled some legislation to clarify the electronic device provisions? Oh, well, yeah, that would be handy because uh, I don't know how many calls you've had in the last 10 days since this, um, this, uh, matter came out with your client who had mm -hmm. the had it in the uh, cup holder but well, plugged into the another, car just another one in Saanich today a person who had tweeted that he got a ticket in the same circumstances the officer even admitting to him roadside i didn't see you using your phone yeah and Saanich police have refused to cancel the ticket well there might be something else that we don't know about yeah, maybe like a spotting officer that saw him doing something with the they, phone, but he's adamant he didn't. They do a lot of that on the island. They yeah. have two officers, some one up, up on a bridge with a binoculars and another one pulling people over down the road. Sure, but you should be told at the time you're getting the ticket what you did, not told what you didn't do. Well, if the officer acknowledges I didn't see you 
touching it or using it and it was in the cup holder, that guy's got a great defense or it's gal. It's an abusive process if you say, I didn't see you commit the offense and not tell them that you have evidence that they committed the offense earlier down the road. Well, of course they should tell them that. I think so. Anyway, so I think they should definitely, you know, now the legislature's back in session. It's crumbling and falling apart and everybody hates everybody, but, you know, it's back in session. Do they? Everybody hates everybody? I didn't think so. Oh my so. god, have you been paying attention to the news? No. Oh, okay. So... Not in the last three days. Uh, Gary Lenz uh, resigned. Yeah. And then the report from um, Doug Lepard, uh, the police commissioner... Oh, oh that come ...investigator out? came out. Yes, it came out when? yesterday. Oh, how did I miss that? Okay, well, now we're going to talk about it on the podcast. It's not driving law, but... Well, I mean, this we're is... We're on a tangent. That'll be Friday, and we're on. Yeah. We're recording early on the Wednesday here, yeah, so... Yeah, so, um, so Doug Lepard found that he had committed a uh, an offense under the Police Act. That Lenz had deliberately provided false information in both oral and written testimony to Beverly McLaughlin. Wow. In her inquiry, yes, that he had denied repeatedly being the whistleblower. Guess who was whistleblower and who was secretly feeding information to Mullen and um, Plekis. Wow. Yes. Well, we know that he was because that was in Plekis' original report that Gary Lenz was... Yeah, well, he denied it to Beverly McLaughlin, apparently. Wow. And so McLaughlin and... accepted that. And then um, uh, Doug Lepard said, no, I don't, I don't believe it. Among many other things, they found that he lied about. It's a very long, like, novel-length report. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. And also the bombshell. I, I knew it was coming. I was wondering what day it was coming. I didn't think it was going to... I thought it would be a Friday thing. Anyway, well, and the, the bombshell. The bombshell that dropped from this is apparently the premier's office knew all about it. So apparently, like, three months before these guys were marched out of the legislature in handcuffs, the... Um, the premier was asked to have a meeting with Lenz. John Horgan? Yes. John Horgan was asked to have a meeting with Lenz to talk about Craig James, or not with Lenz, sorry, with um, Plekis, to talk about Craig James and uh, was briefed on it. But John Horgan came out today, Wednesday, saying, I didn't take the meeting because I was so much in opposition to Craig James being appointed clerk because of his partisan ties that I didn't think it was appropriate for me to be involved in a meeting that might be, you know, problematic for him. I thought it would look like I didn't like him and that this was personal, so my chief of staff took the meeting. And they handed the chief of staff a list of the allegations, the same ones that we saw in Plekis' report. Wow. And the chief of staff was like, holy shit, this is criminal. So Megs, the chief of staff, yeah. took it to Horgan, who says, yeah, that's criminal. And then they sent it to the RCMP. They said, this got to go to the police. And the list that they were given, after the allegations were given to the RCMP, they shredded the list. Oh, my God. But they, their explanation for shredding the list is essentially... Once the police were involved, we didn't feel the need to keep the list anymore. But they it gave the list to the RCMP. Yeah, they gave all the information to the RCMP. But that wasn't available to... To the public. Yeah. And as I recall... Government document. A government document, but Christy also... Christy Clark and Post-it notes. If I recall correctly, didn't John Horgan say, we don't really know what this is about? Yeah, yeah, I seem to recall him saying that, but I, I don't... Mm. And I know he wanted he, to he say... He seemed like, shocked about it at the time and all surprised, but obviously he had an idea about it. 
Yeah. And I mean, I guess you don't want to let on so much. I don't know what the details are. Yeah. And you also don't want to, you don't want to be. um, Seen to be confirming an allegation of criminality. Or, or, um, you know, defaming these people until there's been a further investigation or until you have to act. I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't want to act until you have to act in those circumstances until you're really comfortable that you've got all of the evidence that you need. Yeah. So anyway. I still want to know what Craig James was doing flying around meeting liberals, meeting lawyers, and meeting judges. And until that is answered to me sufficiently, I will not be satisfied with any of this. I don't will ever get those answers. No, I know. But it's just a creepy conspiracy as far as I'm concerned. So there you go. Legislature's back in session and back in chaos. It took them 24 hours. That's great. Well, I'm st- um, I've been so busy with other stuff right now, I didn't get a chance to even follow it up. Yeah, but I well, will. So if they have some time while they're, you know, doing major damage control, um, then uh, I think that they should probably look into, like, amending the le- legislation related to cell phones to make it very clear. Or it would be nice if Mike Farnworth or David Eby, either of them, both of them, they could stand together, they could hold hands, they could make a very somber public announcement. This is what is intended. This is what is lawful. This is what is not lawful. Well, you get Cash Heed back on the podcast uh, because he was the one who was involved in writing the legislation. And each time these things come out, he phones me each time these decisions hit the news or the cases of people getting cell phone tickets when it's in their cup holder hit the news. He calls me and goes, this isn't what we intended. Yeah, I know. And I, each time I want to say, yeah, but why didn't you write the legislation better? But I mean, you know, hindsight's well, 2020. Well, we're going to have to get Cash Heed back on the podcast. Can we talk about the Ridiculous Driver of the Week? Yes. And then I'll let you go and introduce our guest this week. It's a special secret guest who's wanted to be on the podcast for the longest time. Ridiculous Driver of the Week is the crazy Parker, Parker, person parking. Attempting to park. (laughs) Attempting to park and failing miserably. It's so wonderful that there was so much video. It was a beautiful, like, it started lovely. A nice backup into a parallel parking spot on Davie Street. Easy peasy. Yeah, that ended in flipping the car. Yep. Like, he and a slow speed car flip. It was beautiful. Well, it sped up going back, so it was pretty obvious that the driver was attempting to press the brake and was pressing the gas instead, and in panic was pressing harder on the gas instead of pressing the brake. It happens. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can you can tell that's likely what, what took doing. place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit, it's not braking. <laughs> I'll press it again and see what happens. I expected it to be a Range Rover, you know, when yeah. I heard the description, but it was like a Toyota Venza or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was like, like a totally average car. Anyway, apparently it's not that funny because apparently four people were injured. Oh. But still. It's still looking at it. It's just videos hilarious. Videos worth a watch. The videos are fantastic. Yeah, worth so finding find that. the video online. Um, car can, flipped downtown Vancouver. Maybe when we, when we post this on the driving law uh, pod Twitter account. Post that too. Yeah. All right. Thank Time you very for much. You to go. I got to run. My guest is coming. And please welcome to the podcast my extra special guest. It's Brandon Mosco. Thanks for having me. Brandon, you work with me at Acumen. Yes. I thought you were going to go like long time uh, listener, first time caller. I did that last time. Didn't I say something like that last time I was on? I said something cheesy, so I'm. Have you been on the podcast before? Yes. Oh, I Episode 46. Was... Come on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I just made that up. Oh. It, it might be right. Anyway. Okay. All right. I forgot. I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to have you on today because you were in BC Supreme Court today, uh, ungowned. 
uh, in a for, summary conviction for part appeal. Of it. The other part I was gowned. Okay. For a summary conviction appeal uh, related to identity in traffic court. Um, so explain to me what, or not me, explain to the listeners, what is identity when it comes up in a, in a trial? Well, identity, and I guess the best way to describe it is specifically in regards to traffic court. Um, because the way identity is proved most of the time when an officer pulls someone over is through what's called the Shriver's Test, which comes from the case R and Shriver's, which is from many years ago. It's I think it's like a, from the 50s or something like that. I think like the, the 70s 60s? maybe. Oh, okay. I should I probably know. know because it was in my case book today. But <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so basically and what a Shriver's Test is is... Um, the steps that an, officers takes, uh, that an officer takes to confirm the identity of someone that they pull over or are issuing a ticket to or whatever they're doing. And in that in case when they're doing a driver's test, they take the person's license, they look at the license, they look at the person, and then they're supposed to confirm that they're one and the same, either through asking the questions or looking back and forth at the picture and at them. Um, and, I, and just like in any criminal offense, identity is an essential element um, of the offense. So it's something that always needs to be proven. Um, and in this case, uh, there was no Shriver's test that was done, or at least there was no evidence presented by the Crown, the officer, uh, provincial court, uh, that he had done a Shriver's test. So some people would say that there's sort of a relaxed standard for proving the identity of the defendant or the accused in traffic court. Do you think that's the case? Well, it, it's hard to say um, because a lot of the time it's people defending themselves. Right. Um, so they're they're admitting identity because it is the nature of traffic court is that it's self-representation. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, um, the uh, disputant was not represented uh, and they weren't providing any evidence of their own. Uh, so it was really only the Crown's evidence, and just like, any, again, any other criminal case, the defense uh, doesn't have to provide any evidence because it's on the Crown to prove beyond a reasonable doubt uh, whatever the offense is, and in this case, again, Including identity. Including identity, as is for all cases. They have to say who the offender is. Um, in terms of being a lax standard, that is somewhat true, and I think that's kind of what came up in this uh, hearing today in Supreme Court. So how do they get away with it on a lax standard in traffic court? Well, it, the Shriver's test is the standard that most officers use, and that's sure. what's accepted. Uh, but it's not the only way. Um, and in generally, what happened in this case is that just looking at the totality of the circumstances uh, was enough to demonstrate identity. So pulling over the person and taking their license even if they didn't do the official Shriver's test, uh, serving them the ticket and engaging with them in other fashions, even if they're not doing the specific, looking at the license, looking at them, confirming that they're one and the same, or asking them specific questions like, like a bouncer would do at a club or something, mm -hmm. like what's your birthday kind of thing. <laughs> um, do you get asked that when you go to clubs, Brandon? Uh, no, it's, it's been a while since I've either been to a club or been ID'd, so, uh, no. <laughs> you should try and go to clubs and see what happens. I, 
okay, I'll, I'll take that in mind, but no, I'm not going to any clubs. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, okay, so, so they can establish it because they did all of those things roadside, like interacted with the person, they had the license, and they had time to get to know them, basically? Well, it's... Because, like, I thought I knew a lot of my ex-boyfriends until I didn't. It's... Yeah, kind of. I mean, that was... <laughs> I, I tried to forward the ex-boyfriend argument today. Did you really? Well, it, not exactly, but in essence that just because this is, you know, the person... Uh, like, there there was some level of an assumption in this case where... Right. They produced I, you, the You produce the license, so it's got to be that person. Yeah. Because um, nobody in our experience ever would drive around with somebody else's driving license, especially if they were, oh, I don't know, a prohibited driver. Yes. Yeah. I've represented clients that have been on both ends of that, the victim of mm -hmm. something like that, and um, also people that had someone else's license or didn't have a license. That's more common. They didn't have a license. Um, so... Uh, it's, it makes it harder to... It makes it harder to... Again, those, those circumstances are getting a little off base here with this, but um, the common practice for officers in those cases are to take a picture of the, the person if they can't produce the license, and then they're supposed to ask them questions just like they would for a Shriver's test. Mm -hmm. um, and in those cases, identity isn't as clear. So, there is, so that's why there's at least the Shriver's standard for identity, and that's why it's commonplace. So how do you... Like, if you want to go to traffic court, either self-represented or with your counsel or have your counsel appear for you, how do you say, you know, we want to put identity in issue and have it not just be presumed from your attendance to respond to the charges that you're the person who got the ticket? Well, uh, generally, we don't have to do that a lot of the time because the Crown produces, they, they say their evidence, and if we're not satisfied that they've proven identity, we'll usually make a no-evidence motion or insufficient evidence insufficient motion. evidence motion mm -hmm. uh, if you aren't calling any evidence or asking any questions beyond that and but again, there is there is case law though that says that you can infer from the fact that the person is in court to dispute the ticket that they're the person who committed the offense or allegedly yes and again that was one of the things we mentioned earlier because this was a case where they weren't actually in court because they had counsel appearing as their agent. Right. But I would hire a lawyer if I were impersonated and somebody got a ticket in my name. Not to give my haters any ideas. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, I, I guess it's really looking at whether that's kind of an inference or a jump that the court should make. Right. And I guess in those circumstances, maybe the rules of alibi evidence would apply. Like, you'd have to provide your alibi to the crown in advance of the trial to say this wasn't me and here's where I was at the time and here's my witnesses who can confirm that or my documentation and you'd have your sort of reverse disclosure obligation. Yeah, it, uh, again, I mean, when we say things like that, it gets too into um, putting a burden on, like reversing the burden. Because yeah. in these cases, it's still, the burden's still in the crown and... I guess the assumption that people are making, which is probably true, but it's if this was actually not them, they would come and tell the court that it wasn't them and so it's make like their an case. Adverse inference from their failure to testify about evidence that would be uniquely within their knowledge. They're not supposed to make that inference, but that's, uh, I guess, it's kind of the way things go. Right. Well, um, are there any cases that you're aware of that have been successful? where people have challenged the Crown's ability to prove their identity? 
in your research preparing for this appeal, did you find any? Well, many of the cases um, were all looking at what officers had to do uh, to prove identity. And um, it was more kind of going, uh, the argument I was trying to forward was, well, this officer didn't, didn't really do, do any of these things that right. he's supposed to do. Um, he didn't do a Shriver's test. He didn't do any any positive action on his part other than taking the license. And again, in this case specifically... Did he ask your client their name? No. That's ridiculous. Um, the, the thing I argued specifically in this case was that it... The way I'd kind of describe this one is it's the traffic enforcement was similar to what you'd see when usually there's two officers and there's a spotter mm -hmm. where one officer sees the offense and then radios the other officer to pull over the car ahead because they're not in a position where they can pull over the car. Right. So what this officer did was he took the license and what he said when in his testimony was that I took the license and directed them to pull over to this lot where I could then issue them the ticket. And the reason I took the license in this circumstance is because uh, it's common that people take off if you don't take their license because there's just the one officer doing probably like a double officer job. In, in my experience, it's also common if, if you take their license, they'll still go. <laughs> well, then they're, I guess they're easier to catch. Yeah, that's true. The police will park outside their houses. So what advice do you have for people who want to, in dealing with the police roadside in a traffic stop for a motor vehicle violation, what advice do you have for them to preserve all of their relevant arguments in relation to identity while meeting their legal obligations? Hmm. Well, what I would have to say is that there probably isn't too much any different than the common interaction you would have with an officer roadside. What this usually comes down to is, in most of these cases, is the Crown failing to uh, present their case properly, which tends to happen sometimes in traffic court. Um, failing to, again, in most cases they do the driver's test, or if they don't, um, they have some kind of uh, idea of identity or some way they're satisfied of identity. Mm -hmm. um, so usually there's very little you can do roadside. It's more so um, officers presenting this case in court and describing to the court how they did the driver's test. And that's sometimes where they fall short. Um, so I would say it's more relevant, not so much roadside, but when you're actually disputing the ticket, listening carefully to what an officer is saying and how they're giving evidence and uh, being aware of the certain uh, points that they have to hit in, in, in describing the offense and the things like identity that are crucial and making sure that they hit all those points. So really hire a lawyer. Yeah, I guess that's cool. <laughs> hire a lawyer like Brandon, <laughs> who knows uh, all the ins the, and outs the, of identity. The long-winded way of saying hire a lawyer or I guess essentially become a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, I, that would work too. Although <laughs> I read a traffic court decision um, from maybe two or three weeks ago where the accused, it was a cell phone case, nothing very interesting about it legally, but the accused um, represented himself and you could tell from like the discourse that was repeated in the decision as well as the sort of comments of the JJP that this was somebody who was very legally educated. So I Googled them and they're a judge in Saskatchewan. Why they wouldn't get a lawyer um, to argue their cell phone case, which was a dead loser, I don't know. But 
such is the way it is. Um, that was fascinating to me. So even if you are a lawyer, or even better than a lawyer, or you're a judge, you maybe should hire somebody. What's that they say? Yeah. A you, you, person who represents themselves as a fool for a client? Uh, yeah, something like that. That yeah. sounds like a familiar <laughs> saying. Um, okay. Uh, I will give some advice to people in how to preserve your arguments about identity roadside. Don't answer any questions you're not asked. I can't stress that enough. Like, if you're volunteering information that's going to lead the police to be able to conclude who you are better, that's stupid. Well, that's true. And that's this is kind of a point that came up in the hearing today. And the judge was asking me, is there any way other than a Shriver's test that identity can be confirmed roadside? I said, well, yeah, the person can, like, say, I'm this person and just kind of volunteer it. But that didn't happen in this case. And that doesn't happen in most cases. So, uh, yeah, take that advice. Yeah, but a lot of people do run their mouths and give, you know, unique personal information that can be used to identify them. Uh, yeah, I guess it can. people do get pretty upset sometimes with, when they're pulled over. Um, I'm so. a really good driver. My last ticket was in 2003. <laughs> and then the officer looks at the driving record and they see a ticket in 2003. It was only for crossing a solid line. <laughs> Because I was trying to get into the HOV lane to pass a slow-moving truck, and turns out it was for crossing a solid line and driving in an HOV lane. Yeah, yeah it's, uh... There have been cases where people's comments about their driving record have confirmed their identity. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess, the, and that is technically something that people say often. Yeah. Um, although, a lot of the times, uh, when they say, oh, I haven't received any tickets or anything like that, the officer will look it up and... It won't be true. <laughs> and Or it will be true, and then maybe they'll cut them a break. Mm -hmm. That happens too. So um, it, it can go either way, but the overwhelming kind of majority of the time, uh, you want to say as little as possible. Yep. Um, last question for you, because you brought it up, and I'm curious, what do you do for people who've been impersonated at the roadside? Uh, so this has happened to, I, I've represented a, a few people that have been impersonated. Um, I know one recently, uh, the, 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 someone has now been charged with, with it. Um, cause I just got it. With a, the impersonation. Yes. Cause I. Good work. Because the, well, I, I, I was only representing the interest of our client. They, like what happened was they got a few tickets. Mm -hmm. uh, on their record and they got a prohibition notice and you know, this has happened a couple of times and they get a prohibition notice and then they said I'd like what's going on um, so there's two things you can do you can file lengthy paperwork to ICBC and say someone's impersonating me and then you're going through the process of dealing with an insurance company that uh, spends most of their resources trying to figure out the or trying to decipher fraud, and they're mm -hmm. usually kind of, their baseline is people are committing fraud. Right. So they're not, you, well, they're they open to these, but you, like, you're starting at a, like, it's a low bar. Pushing a, high, a stone yeah. uphill. Yeah, I guess that's the way to, to describe it. Um, what I usually recommend for my clients is disputing the tickets. Um, all these tickets have already passed the 30 days, but they have easy justification for a late dispute because it was through no fault of their own that they weren't able to dispute it within 30 days because someone else got the ticket and they have an arguable defense because someone else was driving. So that's all you need and uh, going through the courts and then you can show up to court and say, this wasn't me, or you cannot show up to court and hope that the officer messes up his driver's test, which I assume he would have in this 
he or she would have in these situations. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the other issue, uh, looking at the officer's evidence in, in these cases and seeing what they did. Uh, but most of the time, uh, from what I've seen, they do take the picture, and it usually, once they get disclosure, um, it's an open and shut case. On identity, but on not identity. on other issues. Because you win lots of traffic tickets. Let's just, you know, put in a plug for yourself, Brandon. Yes, I, I win here. lots of traffic tickets for people <laughs> that... Not uh, on identity. Not on identity, yes. Sometimes it's... like, it's... don't denigrate yourself <laughs> on the podcast. I lose but a lot. This was, this was about identity. Yeah, okay. So we can talk about all the tickets and all the questions I ask officers about lasers. That would be a long podcast. Well, we'll have to do that in one of the upcoming episodes. I would love to hear it. So if you have a ticket and you think identity can't be proven because the officer never asked you anything about who you were roadside, or if you think that you've been impersonated and tickets have been wrongfully put on your driving record, give Brandon Mosco a call. He works out of our Richmond office at 604-370-3050 or find us online vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 